Welcome to More Than A Game, a podcast about the A-League, Premier League and more. My name's Tommy C and today we've got a massive lineup of Sydney Derby, Champions League, semi-final first legs, business as usual in the Premier League for City and Chelsea, More Than A Game FPL prizes and survivor tipping prizes. Oh, and nil all draws in the A-League? You betcha, we've got three. So uh, after the late scratching of Damo, Shannon joins us again on More Than A Game. Welcome, mate. How are you this morning, this afternoon? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me back again. No, it's a pleasure. Just great to have another passionate football fan on the pod. Um, uh, look, plenty of football to to cover. Um, like I said, plenty of nil or draws in the A-League. Um, should we just get straight into uh, what your moment of the week was, though? Yeah, um, my moment of the week. I, I love a bit of the shithousery on social media. And when Scott McDonald signed for Wanderers, you know, my circle's mostly Wanderers fans and they're all doom and gloom. So my moment of the week was Scott McDonald scoring what turned out to be the winner in the Sydney Derby to just kind of shut those fans up straight away. That was fantastic, wasn't it? Because I think a lot of Raw fans were kind of happy to see him go as well. They were like, oh, well, he wasn't really playing. It was a bit like Georgeski, how he wasn't playing. He was probably on big money. It's probably better to just get rid of him. But, um, yeah, for him to pop up and score an important goal like that means a lot for probably for him. Um, but also the fans too. So good stuff there. Um, anything else? Um, oh, well, it's been one of those things. Another one with the Sydney Derby was it was just good to see, you know, what was it, 20,000 fans there chanting, singing, all that sort of stuff. It was one of those things we've been missing for a good year and a half, two years since COVID and all that sort of thing. It felt like good old A-League days back again. I think like we we've seen I think there was sixteen thousand at the Melbourne Derby recently, but it didn't have the same feel as as this because obviously the Vark aren't doing so well this season, so it didn't quite have that same spice about it. But yeah, wow, this this was the A League really at its best, wasn't it? Yeah, maybe we'll, that's what we'll, you'd love to see. We'll, we'll cover that in a little bit, I guess, uh, a little bit more, you know, uh, after moment of the week and own goal. Um, but for me, my my moment of the week, I got two. Uh, the first one was uh, soccer Twitter monopoly. Um, uh, run these memes. He he um, had been working on that, and I think it just sort of started out as a bit of a joke, and it ended up actually he he f- just fully fleshed it out and turned it into a fully fledged monopoly skin, I guess you could call it. Um, and I think that's uh, I think the the ladies league are hosting that for him um, as a. You can do uh, use it as a free download, or you can pay three bucks. I think it is, um, and they uh, donate all of the money raised to charity, which is great. Um, uh, the other thing I had was, do you remember the Bulgarian FA? How he we got sacked or resigned as a result of uh, the the racism incident there? I think it was involving the English national team, English men's national team. It was about eighteen months ago. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. 
Well, he's since rescinded his resignation and um, he's reappointed himself as the chief of the, the Bulgarian FA. What I love about this is not so much the fact that he's reappointed himself. I mean, that's real sort of Eastern European or sort of second or third world country sort of politics, right? But what I love is the time lag in him taking that action. It's been like 18 months, right? And it, it made me think of like, say you've resigned from a job and you just like you've uh, made the decision maybe a couple of years later that you maybe it hasn't quite worked out as you, how you might have thought, and instead you just walk back in and say, "Well, I rescinded my resignation two years later." <laughs> I just love the shit of that. <laughs> That's like um that Seinfeld episode. I think George Costanza gets fired, or he yep. he resigns or something. And then he just turns up on Monday and pretends to act natural like nothing happened. <laughs> Yeah, it's a good it's a good parable uh, parallel, isn't it? <laughs> All right, mate. As always, there's plenty of bad stuff that happens, or bad stuff that uh, or good stuff that we don't really like that happens in the world of football. Though, um, what own goal do you have this week? Oh, I, w- I want to give a shout out to Mango Gate. Um, that was one of this the most in- bizarre A League stories I've heard. You know, this is incredible, isn't it? For, for those who weren't watching uh, the was it the the MTAG derby, um, Brisbane Raw versus Wellington, uh, walk us through it, mate. Um, so basically, a couple of tweets got put out saying that Brisbane Raw, the Den, the fan group there, were doing chance mangoes two for five dollars during the match. And you know, I'm I'm all for the hustle, like good on you. Make you make your money however you do it, but wait till full time or something like that doing it during a match is just taking the piss a little bit, I think. I oh, know, right. And, I mean, obviously, it ended up finishing the, all the game, but um, I, I don't think it was just a chant. Apparently, they were recording, like, a fully-fledged ad or something like that. And, I mean, part of it is, well, yeah, like, like you say, I respect the hustle too, right? And people, some people are just trying to make a living and maybe the Den's just trying to raise some money for some merch or something like that. But, I mean, at the end of the day, like, mid, mid-game, mid wow, like, that's um that's strange areas i mean the flip side of it is three for five dollars for mangoes is a pretty bloody good deal though yeah well i guess there wasn't too much to talk about during that game except for the rain so maybe (laughs) maybe they planned to do it after the game but they were just pretty bored during the match so they thought why not get it over and done with now it's uh that's not a bad shout you know maybe um we'll have to start advertising mangoes on um um on more than a game Although I think to Queenslanders, a mango is forex. Oh, okay. I don't know if I don't know that. if that I don't know if that's just Steve Burby chat or if that's like an actual official nickname in Queensland for forex. Well, three for five dollars is an even better deal than if if that's the case. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like a mango, like an actual mango and um, a forex is probably a pretty good uh, Queensland combination, really. <laughs> All right, mate. Uh, for me, uh, like there were plenty of things this week, ranging from more than a game, just not doing an episode for a couple of weeks. Uh, that could be one um, own goal. Um, Adama Traore, his red card decision and the the associated suspension that's still not being finished. That could have been one. 
Um, but I'm going to settle on uh, the, the Super League. Uh, the, the fallout from that seems to have kind of fallen away into the background now. I remember there was lots of rage and lots of sort of supporter outrage about um, and lots of pundit outrage as well from um, from plenty of stakeholders about um, the the European Super League and how they thought it was a bad idea. And then then we started talking about what are the consequences for, for the six, uh, the greedy six in England about what's going to happen with them. And we started talking about fines and points deductions this season's or next season. And it's all just gone very, very quiet. So that's my my own goal this week. Um, anything else to add, mate? Um, it would be interesting to see if the fallout actually happened with that because imagine the big six in England getting promoted, uh, relegated down to championship or people are even talking non-league. Can you imagine going to non-league football and seeing Manchester City play against some plumbers from like, you know, Essex? Hey, come on, put some respect on the the plumbers that they played this week from Crystal Palace. Oops. <laughs> Probably a bit harsh on Crystal Palace, but maybe not for this week though. Um, or anyway, mate, there were a couple of things, a couple of things that um, that caught our attention in the news this week. Um, one was in the aftermath of that um, of the Woos, uh, pretty paltry appear um, uh, crowd figures. Um, Channel 10's the project. They did a piece on on the A League, which I mean, sometimes it, any publicity is good publicity, but um, they did a bit of a, I guess, a, a project piece on um, on the A League and how it's struggling at the moment after getting 990 fans at a game. Um, do you think, first of all, do you think 990 fans for a Monday night game between two of the, the lower rating teams at the best of times is probably about right anyway? Well, it's the lowest in A-League history, so it's a bit disappointing. Um, I mean, I guess it really goes to show that Western United don't really have an identity. Um, they don't have a home ground, and they've been bouncing around between four or five different grounds. And this goes to show that they really don't have the support in Melbourne. But, yeah, it seems like the project was just licking their lips and, like, rubbing their hands together, waiting for waiting for something negative to say about the A-League, and they got it. And, you know, it is it is what it is. I, yeah, mate, I, I agree about, um, I guess, your earlier point about how um, this is really sort of rubber stamped the the idea that the Woo have got like a, a fan base in in the city. I think um, moving maybe moving derbies to to Amy Park or Saturday night games to Amy Park. Maybe there's some potential in that. But but weeknight games in in Melbourne CBD at, at Amy Park or, or something like that is just not going to work. I think that is something that should not be repeated. And they really want to maximise how many games they're playing. I think at Mars or or even at um. Um, at Geelong, the GMHBA. Yeah, I think if they had played that game at um, Mars or GMHBA, I think they probably would have got a better better crowd, even on a Monday night. Um, look, uh, I I agree somewhat about your point about the the project were licking their lips and sort of just looking for an, an, a negative um, story to run about the A League. But um, I've got to say, I think that the general vibe of the of the segment was, I guess, of the untapped potential of the league and sort of. Um, they had, I think, it was uh, Barry Cassidy from who formerly of ABC. I think he used to be the host of Insiders, the political show, um, on a Sunday morning. He, he was kind of saying that, well, like he, he's a true believer, right? And he was saying that, well, if the A League sort of gets it right and doesn't alienate all of those fans and tries to bring them back into the fold, it, it sort of can get back to its its peak of a, of a few years ago. But it really has to bring those fans back back into the into the breach. So. Um, 
whilst it's a, an easy thing to say of oh just bring bring the fans back it's uh, much more difficult in um in in practice though so i think it, it was a story of frustration as much as as much as anything so um in, not really sure, I guess, how the APL is going to do things differently. Um, we saw there was a pretty pretty big uh, police presence at the the Sydney Derby, and generally speaking, I haven't heard of there being any major incidences. But um, I guess the MPL Sydney issue last weekend can show that it only takes one one incident for everything to just sort of revert back to our oh, soccer bloody soccer almost. Um, disappointing, I guess. But I guess. It's a bit like everyone, really, as far as the um, the A League goes. Everyone knows that it has a lot of potential, but we just need to put all the pieces together. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about was uh, the raw exodus. Now, I'm not sure if you're following this, but obviously, Scott McDonald he he left. I think it was last weekend or midweek. Um, turned up at Western Sydney Wanderers, but now um, just breaking today or. Uh, overnight is that Jamie Young and Macaulay Gillespie, apparently they've fallen out with Warren Moon as well. And apparently they want to leave now too. Is is the the Raw squad sort of coming apart at the seams at the moment? Well, if there's any basis behind the rumours that Jamie Young and Gillespie are leaving, that would be a huge blow for the Raw. Um, you know, Warren Moon on, on paper, on what you see on TV, he looks like a pretty likeable guy. But if there's deeper issues in the Raw and they lose you know, some of these key players, they could be looking at a really hard couple of years. Yeah, man, 100%. I mean, Jamie Young has been there for a long time and I know the Raw fans really love him. I think he's a good shop stopper, but otherwise a bit a bit of a limited goalkeeper. Um, if you ask some people, he's the best goalkeeper in the league, which, I mean, sort of blows my mind a little bit. But anyway, let's leave that there. Um, and Macaulay Gillespie, I think he's been he's sort of, uh, flown under the radar a, a fair amount as well. So... Um, uh, it would be um, it, it would be really a bit of a kick in the guts, I think, for the Raw to um, at this later stage to lose possibly some key players before the before the season even finishes. So um, it's it's a shame, I guess, we don't have uh, uh, Damo or Colby uh, on the pod to be able to to dissect this a little bit more, given that obviously they're very keen to to see how this pans out. Uh, Made anything else on the Raw? Ah, uh, well. There's not really too much more to say about it. We've covered it. We've covered it all. It was a pretty lackluster game they even had last week. They've been one of those clubs that have just been very not not so much under the radar, but very underwhelming. There's been a very underwhelming presence in the league this year. It's funny. Um, like I've spoken about Aston Villa and Everton this year in the Premier League as being a club that had sort of games in hand, and and that they've uh, if they win all their games in hand, and they go up to fourth place in the Premier League, and um, and they can play Champions League next year, and and I think the Aurora are in a similar position now. I think they've got three three games in hand at the moment. Um, they've, they've played 17 games and they're on 27 points. And because of how packed the A-League table is at the moment around that sort of second, there's, what, four points between second and uh, an eighth. And so if if the Raw manage to win all of their games, they can possibly shoot up up to second. So, um, yeah, it's uh, – well, actually, no, they can go up to first. Oh, but hang on, sorry, City have got games in here too. But, um, yeah, so it, it's uh, – it's it's hard to know sort of where a lot of the teams sit at the moment. Like 
like I say, Rourke would jump like way up the table if they managed to win some games in hand. So I guess we'll just have to see how that all plays out though. But all right, mate, let's um, jump into some A-League match week 19 though, shall we? Four of their next six here, including tonight. Need to start stringing the wins together. Gordon released by Troisi along the deck for Kamau. Brilliance! Western Sydney in a derby again with an early goal, and it is so easy on the eye. Troisi to Ziggy, and then Bruce Almighty in the middle. First up. Uh, obviously, the derby was the big game, and that took centre stage this week. Uh, fantastic ep- uh, atmosphere um, in the Sydney derby. Sydney needed to catch up ground on City, while the Wanderers needed a win to go equal on points with the sixth-placed Western United. Um, the Wanderers came out of the blocks quickest, and two goals inside the first 16 minutes gave Western Sydney an early lead. Um, Bruce Kamau scored the Wanderers first, and he also played a major part in their second. Um Shannon, you could argue that he's turned a bit of a corner in the past month. Do you think it's too big of a shout to say he's one of the form players in the league at the moment? I mean, is, is oh, he no, good enough to be not. maybe even getting a Socceroos call up at the moment or too soon? Uh, I think it's a bit too soon for the Socceroos considering, you know, the um, amount of talent we have, particularly in those wide areas. But he was one of those players who he was kind of wrote off last season or the season before as being one of those hit or miss sort of players. And you look at him at the first half of the season and you'd have to say, yeah, that's correct. But I, I don't know what's happened, but full credit to him. He has been absolutely electric. He's just been scoring goals. He's been creating chances. And every time he's on the ball, you know, you think something's going to happen. It's very exciting to watch. Bruce Kamau is a player that seems like he's been young for a long time, but he's 26 now. Like he's he's not a young player anymore. He's he, He's about to enter the prime of his career and, I mean, it kind of feels like he's done nothing for the last five years, which is incredible to say, but he's been very good lately. And it sort of coincided with a shift um, out from playing just as a winger. And he's playing, been playing almost as like a number 10 or a bit of a roaming free role lately, which has been really interesting to watch. Huh? Um, right, so Sydney got one back after half time, uh, but Scott McDonald, he uh, rose to, to give the... Uh, restore the Wanderers' two-goal advantage um, on his Wanderers' debut. Big goal, like you said, at the top, wasn't it? Yeah, it was It was just beautiful. And the fans, you could see they were full getting behind him as soon as he scored the goal. I don't know what they would have been like if he missed it, but I think <laughs> uh, Scott McDonald might end up being one of those cult hero sort of players for the Wanderers. Well, scoring a scoring a, what turned out to be a winner in a derby is always going to be a shortcut to making yourself a cult hero, I, I think, at a club. Um, and, I mean, it, it did turn out to be a, a really uh, fortunate time to score. I guess it did turn out to be the the the, old, um, the winning goal in the game, but it was also at a time when Sydney were just sort of starting to build up a head of steam. And, uh, they, I mean, they ended up going and getting the penalty just later, which Bobo skied. Um, and then uh, Caceres hit the crossbar as well. So um, I think if they hadn't have scored when they did, um, even if they had scored maybe later on in the game or even earlier in the game, I think they would have lost the game. Yeah, it was looking that way. You could see the momentum was 
totally shifting and Wanderers scored almost against the run of play to kind of put it just out of Sydney's reach. Just on Anthony Caceres, I've got to say, he's got to be one of the most underrated players in the league, in my opinion. Um, what he does on the ball, the way he goes, like he pulls his passes, he's defensively good, he can have a shot, he can dribble, but you never really hear him talked about as one of those sort of good midfielders of the league. You, you hear Braddon talked about a lot for Sydney, you hear Ninkovic and everyone like that, but I rarely hear people singing praises for Caceres. So here's me doing my TED talk saying how <laughs> underrated Caceres is. Did you rate him when he was at um, Melbourne City? Yeah, I really did, but I was I was very shocked actually because um I think I think it was just after he come back on loan from the Middle East or just before. But he played really good in the Middle East and I was watching some dodgy streams. He looked electric, <laughs> but when he was at City, he was kind of given the last fifteen, twenty minutes off the bench for most of his appearances. And I like always Nick, felt Nick Fitzgerald and him that were coming off the bench at the same time, which sort of indicates like yeah. what, what the coach was aiming for, right? I always felt like it was a bit of a waste because we've seen little glimpses of it when he was at Central Coast Mariners, but I don't think he's been really given his fair shot to show what he's done in his whole A-League career, to be honest. I think he's a bit of a unique uh, unique player and he reminds me a little bit of Nicky Carl as well in that like you, you can't or you can't play him as like a wide player or a winger or something like that because he just doesn't – I don't think he's got the pace for it. Um, whereas like if he plays through the middle and sort of mimics um, the, the role that Nikovic plays for Sydney – I think there is a there is a role for him, and I think this Sydney team, the way they set up, I think is is set up really well for a player like Ninkovic or like Caceres to be able to kind of move within the lines and 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 find pockets of space for themselves. And the the width is provided by the fullbacks. You've got defensive um, uh, base to build off of with the double pivot that Sydney play with, and it it kind of it's. It's a perfect scenario for them, but uh, I think if you there's not many other clubs that are playing a system like that that I think would actually suit Caceres. Yeah, I'd have to agree. And the thing is, um, Sydney's kind of set up to be mostly around Ninkovic, so you're not you're not really going to drop Ninkovic and play Caceres. So he's kind of having to play second fiddle to him, which is a bit of a shame because we've seen last night that he has the talent. I think he's. You could argue that um, he's had the talent. It's like we said, he's got to be able to be played in a, uh, a scenario that that benefits his his strengths and sort of hides his weaknesses. Because I think you said that he was good defensively, mate. Big question marks for me over how good he is defensively. I think he's uh, often been a little bit guilty of not always putting in putting in a shift defensively. Um, and similar to the way that some people sort of might have viewed Nicky Carl as being a bit of a, a liability defensively, I think you could make the same argument, I think, for Caceres. But... I'll agree to disagree on that one. Um, I just think <laughs> his positioning is really good. But, yeah, I, he is he is a bit of a bit of a fraud defensively sometimes as well. I think we'd love to hear from some Sydney fans or from fans of other clubs about what they think about Caceres as well. Maybe we'll put that one as a um, a, uh, a, um, a a poll question on uh, on uh, Twitter or Facebook over the next few days about whether Caceres is a uh, is a fraud defensively or not. 
Um, what else was there from the derby? So, look, the other thing that I, I guess that was great about the derby was that um, I mentioned before about in the this, uh, the Melbourne derby how it didn't it didn't feel like it had the same atmosphere, and not just from the crowd. I mean, on the pitch, this this was a game that threatened to boil over um, a couple of times, really. Yeah, I don't think I've seen a Sydney derby where it hasn't had that feeling between the two clubs, you know what I mean? Whereas with the Big Blue, oh, it didn't really feel like a derby earlier in the year with the Big Blue. With the Melbourne derby, it just felt like a game. But with the Sydney derby, even if it's one of those like near-law games, it always feels like a special game. Even before kickoff, you are always got that bit of adrenaline knowing you're going to watch something special. And I think that's what sets the Sydney derby apart from any other derby in the league, except maybe the distance derby, which we all know <laughs> is, um, we all know that's the best derby in world football, right? Definitely the biggest derby. Uh, mate, one question before we move on comes from Sam Boricino on uh, on Twitter. Uh, he's got a question regarding safe standing at Bankwest. Um, he wants to know... Do you know if there was a reason um, with no COVID restrictions as to why the safe standing rails weren't brought back for the, the RBB this week? That's a good question. Um, yeah, I, I can't think of an answer to that. Maybe they just, you know, overlooked it. Maybe they forgot it. But, yeah, I cannot <laughs> think of an answer to that because, yeah, I'm just bewildered. I, I didn't even know it was a thing. I wondered if that was that's probably the the best way to put it to for Bankwest to save face is that they just forgot. Yeah. Because if there's there's another sort of more sinister reason, then I'd almost prefer it to be that they just forgot. <laughs> yeah, you'd you'd hope they were just being a bit careless and overlooked it rather than some sort of anti football um propaganda that people are very quick to spew sometimes. Especially after, like, they, they made a big deal of, uh, like, the stadium is built for Western Sydney Wanderers sort of in mind and that it's um, it's built for safe standing and the rails and all that sort of thing. It would be, excuse me, really disappointing if uh, they're just uh, actively deciding not to use them. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, let's move on, though, shall we? Uh, the next game we're going to cover is uh, Melbourne City hosting Newcastle Jets. That uh, was first versus 12th. In Thursday's game at Amy Park, three goals from Naboo, Jamison and McLaren gave City a 3-0 lead before Newcastle got one back to save a little pride in the 87th minute. Um, this was pretty much business as usual for, for City, wasn't it? Yeah, um, at times it looked like I was just watching Melbourne City do a training routine. Um, they were pretty much Planet. just in the, in the attacking half, just passing the ball between them freely. They just had some champagne gold color tra uh, training cones that they were passing between and it was a little bit <laughs> boring at times just to watch that you know what I mean because there was times where it just looked like honest to god it was just city passing it between each other they get into a really nice rhythm and like you say they just controlled the match really well and I guess if anything I think um because uh, Norbert I think would have been really annoyed that they ended up conceding um, Laid on because that that might indicate a bit of a loss of concentration and um, I can't remember who who it was who um, who gave up the ball. Um, I can't remember if it was Galloway or maybe Jamison, but yeah, I think he would have been really annoyed um, that they they did end up seeding. Um, it was good, actually, a, a pretty good goal, I think, by Gugarkovic, a good finish through Tom Glover's legs. Um, but, mate, one player who's come back from injury lately is Aidan O'Neill. Um, he's been off for pretty much most of the season with, a, I think it was a knee injury. 
Um, what have you made of him since his return? Because he hasn't really played much for City even before that. Yeah, you wouldn't have thought that he was out for about four or five months of injury, how seamlessly he's slotted into what is a very good Melbourne City side. And, you know, you don't often see players, um, especially in these good clubs like Melbourne City, where you're surrounded by good players. You don't often see players who haven't really played there before come off a lengthy injury and just seamlessly slot into the midfield. Um. Made another player who uh, is is a bit of a prominent part of that Melbourne City midfield is Florian Berenguer. What have you made of him during his stay at Melbourne City? I was a bit um, not too much sold on him in his first season at Melbourne City, but the more and more I watch Melbourne City, I think he's one of those underrated players who's doing a bit of the dirty off the ball work while someone like um, Andrew Naboot, Craig Noon, Jamie McLaren. Luna, all those sort of players are getting the benefits from it. I think mm-hmm. um, if City didn't have Berengay, they would be a worse side because, yeah, he for an attack, more more attacking sort of midfielder, he does a lot of that dirty work, um, chasing the high press, getting the ball back for these more attacking players. So I think while I wasn't sold on him at first, I think he's really proven his worth to me. Okay. And mate, the other the other question I want to ask you about City before we move on is about Tilio. When's he going to finally get a start? Because again, he was very good in this game as well. Yeah, look, like last time I was on, you asked me that same question, and I said, <laughs> you know, when, there isn't when really. He, when is City really finally going to put some respect on Tilio's name? Yeah, as I said, there isn't really much to lose by chucking him in. I I just don't know why they haven't chucked him in yet. To be honest, because he's proving. He's worth off the bench, you know, every, every time he's been on, he's electric. But maybe they have that worry that he's one of those players who's only good off the bench like Javier Hernandez. Otherwise, I can't think <laughs> of why they haven't started him yet. Tilio, the Chicharito of uh, the A-League. <laughs> uh, all right, mate, let's move on, though, to um, the other uh, the other game this round the first one was um the the first of our three nil all draws um victor sanchez was sent off early but adelaide couldn't take advantage uh Moture was also sent off late for two yellow cards despite coming off of the bench in the 72nd minute um do you think this is going to be the the project's next episode uh the a-league struggles with nil all draws um well they might do that, but I, I personally thought this nil all draw between Western United and Adelaide was a pretty a pretty good one, um, despite the fact that it was nil all. Not so much the other two, particularly the Perth one, but I thought this one was a pretty good ga- pretty good game. Um, there was a lot of feeling in it, a lot of heated moments. There was that particular VAR moment that I'm sure we're going to touch on a bit later as well. Um, so yeah. Well, let, mate, let's touch on it uh, now, given you've, you've kind of introduced it already. Uh, so Dylan Price was uh, a judge to have been offside by the VAR. Um, and it was one of those things where like, I've made a personal decision to to not talk about VAR a lot because I hate it. Everyone hates it. And there's mm. not many people that are still defending it, um, right? Um, and I guess the frustrating thing about this one was that you looked at the the positioning of the lines on the on the screen. And they didn't even seem to match up with with the players. So, look, I'm I'm not really sure what they what they were doing, what they were thinking. But 
I mean, it's it's just sort of hard to fathom how how it's defensible anymore about how we've still got VAR in the league. Here's how you know it was a really bad call. Um, I'm in the Wellington Phoenix fan group, and Wellington Phoenix fans do not like Western United at all. They absolutely despise them. But the Phoenix fans were actually saying that they thought Western United were hard done by by this. So that's how you know it's a bad call. And Oof. my my thinking on VAR is if it's too close to call like this, if we're looking at it like microscopic millimetres like this, <laughs> just stay with whatever the on-field call is. You know what I mean? If it's too close to call from VAR without seeing it straight away, stay with whatever the on-field call is and give it the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I've said this a bunch of times before on the pod and uh, how in in cricket with the third umpire, how they have the um, that, that rule for LBW where if... Uh, if it's too close to call, they, they, and because with LBW, it's an imperfect science, right? Like you don't know exactly if the if the ball's going to go on, hit the stumps or not. So they basically just say, all right, stick with whatever the original uh, decision was. And I, and I think the A League needs to do something similar, especially with uh, with uh, with offsides. But um, yeah, for for the fouls and and the like, I, you could argue even that some of those have just been terrible lately. And I mean, football is a, it's a sport of interpretation and it's, it's not, it, we have very few black and white moments. So um, pretty much uh, I think we all think that it should be limited just to uh, goal line decisions now. Yeah. I think everyone has the same sort of feelings towards VAR now after this weekend. Mm. All right, mate. Um, one final thing before we move on, like we'd already said about the two red cards, um, which did you think was the the worst red card, Victor Sanchez or Motures? Both were for two yellows. Um, I'm going to say probably Victor Sanchez because Motores is 16 years old. You know, he pretty pretty silly to get into the um, push and shove and all that sort of thing to get the two yellows. But I'm going to give him a bit of an excuse because he's so young and inexperienced, whereas Victor Sanchez, you know, he's he's a veteran of the game. He's been around long enough to know that if you're on a yellow, you're kind of walking that tight um, tightrope. What about you? Yeah, mate, 100%. I thought Victor, Victor Sanchez should have definitely known better. I mean, you, you look at Victor Sanchez's two yellows. The first one was bringing down Halloran, which was probably one of those sort of tactical uh, fouls, yellow cards yeah. where you go, yeah, it's it's probably better to take the yellow card. But the the second one was for like that sort of late challenge where he just sort of body checked um, Dorigo through the back of him and thought for a player that's already on a yellow card that early in the game, you, you're just asking to be sent off. Whereas um, you compare that to Moture's um, uh, two fouls, the first one was uh, where he brought down Connor Payne, again, another one that was sort of a bit of a tactical foul. Um, but then his second one that he uh, gets sent off for, he's, he takes a bit of a, a bad touch and he tries to kind of chase it down. I'm not sure whether it's a block or whether he's trying to tackle Durante in the in the West United box, but a, a little bit of inexperience coming through there. I, I mean, I think... Um, Sanchez could even be double the age of Moture. I think if he's if he's yeah, thirty two, I'm not sure how old. Probably like there, more there than double the age. Exactly right, and so I think Victor Sanchez. Yeah, it wouldn't be surprised if um, that's a they, he had a bit of a tough dis- uh, discussion with uh, Mark Rodin after after that. But uh, obviously, Moture will get a bit of a rest now, and maybe that's a, a good thing for him because mm. uh, he's played plenty of football this season, which has been great to great great to see. Yeah, and I don't think he would be committing silly fouls like that again after it as well. 
hopefully you should learn a lot from the experience. Uh, mate, the second of our new all draws this time was Perth uh, hosting the Glory. Um, oh, sorry, the Glory hosting the McGulls. Yeah. Um, mate, the, probably the most significant thing about this game uh, was the early kickoff. I think this was like a 1 p.m. kickoff in Perth. What, what did you make of that? Do you like the, the early kickoff time? Um, not so much. I, I prefer those later in the night, kind of 5 o'clock, 7.30 games. That's just personal preference. Um, I think, I think we- the reason it was an early kickoff had something to do with them actually trying to get the ground in use due to COVID or something, but I'm not 100% sure. But, yeah, okay. I personally didn't like it. It's, it's funny how we've been a bit uh, sort of conditioned in Australia to to not really, or at least in the last sort of 15 years, we're not really used to uh, early kickoffs. And by early kickoff, I mean like 3 p.m., um, I was uh, I was a little bit sort of confused about sort of why we don't have more uh, earlier kickoffs, and I know in in the Premier League in in the UK the um, the midday kickoff is is quite derided. I know fans and players don't really like it, but apparently it's it's a pretty recent um, invention. Apparently midday kickoffs were invent uh, were introduced in I think it was the eighties um, in the UK to discourage people getting hammered pregame and then wanting to biff. So it was sort of it was an anti hooliganism. Uh, sort of measure that was brought in, um, in yeah, in the eighties, which is a nice little interesting bit of uh, bit of trivia. And it's funny because I mean, pretty much the later in the day you have it, the the more the more likely people are to be absolutely wasted. And I guess maybe that's uh, maybe that's something that the A League needs to to think about is if you're having a three pm kickoff. Does that mean that there's less likely uh, to be a chance of crowd problems? Does that mean that there's less likely uh, or a greater chance that um, maybe the the police presences that we've seen at at derbies and the like um, that they may not actually be required? And it could be a one way, I guess, for for the like a bargaining chip for the A League to bring to to some of uh, these big games and to to talk to the police about and say, well, maybe let's have these games at earlier times, and that way we can um, can can sort of alleviate some of the police concerns um, about that. And and that's about trying to to come, um, come together with the police and and some of the other authorities and, and, and try to work out ways that that um, everybody is happy with the outcome. Uh, mate, the other the other big thing that came out of this game was Liam Reddy broke the uh, the record for the most A-League clean sheets, which is 86. Um Great for him, which also shows how long he's been around in the league for. Um, anything else from this game you wanted to mention, mate, before we move on? I'm um, just touching on the crowd again. I wanted to say that I thought the Perth crowd was pretty pretty lively despite the fact that there was no shed due to those COVID regulations. And, you know, good on yeah, them. That's... It was an early kickoff. Good on them for still coming out, making some noise and giving it a bit of atmosphere. That is a good point, mate. I, I'd forgotten about the the shed. How they um, basically because there was a, I think there were a couple of COVID cases that were identified in Perth, so um, there was no no shed in attendance. But I'm guessing all of the shed were basically just dispersed around the ground. Which, I mean, yeah, okay, they're still going to be singing and the like, and and maybe it actually made for a better atmosphere because uh, rather than all of the singing people sort of being concentrated in one area, it meant that they were spread out amongst the amongst the crowd. Um, but good shout um, about uh, the the Perth crowd getting getting into the ground nice and early and making sure that they're in uh, in fine voice. Uh, mate, the final of our um, of our our A League games to cover is uh, and the third of our nil all draws. 
Um, midweek, there were some complaints that, that the season had been dragging on a little. So I'm guessing the Australian Premier uh, Professional Leagues, they decided to turn this into a novelty water polo match. Um, another match where the ground was absolutely sopping wet. Mate, do you love or hate the conditions that were at um, Redcliffe on, on Saturday? I mean, I love playing in it. Because I'm a pretty uh, average player, I love to slide around. You're a sloppy, and sort of thing. You're a sloppy but, player, are you, mate? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, to watch it, it's a bit like it's it's kind of fun to watch for about five or ten minutes. But then when you see players playing passes that get caught up in a puddle and they stop dead, that would stop a really good play. It gets a bit frustrating. Um, what about yourself? Mate, I think you've you've summed up that really well. You're right. It is it is fun for about the first ten minutes, whether you're watching or if you're playing. But I've got to say, in the ninetieth minute, when you are soaked um, soaked to the bone, uh, when you're playing or when you're watching these players and they're just absolutely slogging it around in the slop, um, it's just uh, mate. It's it, it just makes for um, pretty much unhappy fans and unhappy players probably. So a little bit unfortunate, but I guess this is this is going to be one of the things about if we're playing games in, in winter, we're going to see some of the some of the pitches deteriorate a little bit um, if we get some some runs of wet weather. And I guess we are quite fortunate that a lot of the, the grounds that the A-League play at um, do have very good drainage. Obviously, they've put a lot of work into some of those grounds over the last few years. But yeah, I think this is going to be something that we're possibly going to be seeing more of in the future rather than less of one thing i'm excited to see possibly in the future um if we stay in winter is one thing i love to watch in european football is the snow matches i don't believe we've ever had a snow match in the a-league so i'm just excited for the fact that we could possibly have the first ever snow match in the coming years or even this year if we're lucky Maybe uh, I think the the closest we would have come to that was if the the Labor government uh, had won the the overnight election in Tasmania, but I think they ended up getting nine seats compared to the Liberals' twelve. So I'm not I'm not sure what a majority government is in Tasmania, but the the Labor government had made a promise to basically to fund a um, a, a rectangular stadium in Hobart if if they won, but didn't happen. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna see a, a snow ground maybe anytime soon in the A League. A little bit of politics chat for you there, bonus content huh. listeners. <laughs> um, all right, mate, there's still one more game left in the A-League uh, for this weekend. It's probably due to kick off in about an hour's time. Um, Melbourne Victory versus Central Coast. Uh, Victory have conceded 12 goals in their past three games. That's obviously the derby, the uh, the 5-4 game against the Wanderers and 1-0 against Sydney on Tuesday. Um, meanwhile, Central Coast have won, sorry, haven't won in their past four, two losses and two draws. Um, what's your what's your pick for this game? Um, I'm going to say possibly Melbourne victory. Uh, this is an interesting game for me. It's probably the most interesting one of the round, despite the fact that we had a Sydney derby this round. Because um, Central Coast Mariners are kind of at that point where they've plateaued a little bit. And they haven't played poorly but they haven't been able to capture that same magic, get those same results. Whereas Melbourne victory, you know, while their their first win was a 5-4, which they nearly they nearly threw it away, to be honest, at the end. The game against Sydney FC, they did well to keep it 1-0, and they stayed in the match for pretty much the whole 90 minutes. So yeah, that could have been a turning point for Melbourne victory. I know their new interim manager, Steve Keane, said he's not really fussed about whatever Tony Popovic wants next season. He just wants to get maximum points. 
So mm-hmm. I'll be very interested to see how Melbourne Victory and Central Coast Mariners um, play this one out. What about yourself? Man, I agree. I think this is going to be, uh, I'm not sure if it'll be one of the best matches of the round, but it's definitely one that I'm most curious about because it's a really, it's really on a knife edge. Like you're not really sure if, if the, the VUC are going to be going to come out and be motivated or if Central Coast are going to sort of uh, refine some of their earlier season form. Um, you, I think you, you've hit the nail on the head about how the, the Mariners haven't been playing badly, but they, they have stopped starting. Um, have stopped getting the results that they were getting earlier on in the season. I guess maybe that sort of is a bit of a result of them playing um, sort of partly through through emotion and they were that was sort of getting them over the line in, in, uh, late in some of those big games earlier on in the season. So, so hopefully, uh, look, uh, I, I really want the Mariners to do well um, this season. So I, I really want them to be making finals. And if, if they continue this slide of uh, games without a win, then... Um, the real risk of not making finals given how much they've sort of dropped back into the pack in the last month or so. Which would be a shame. 100%, 100%. It would be a great story from this year if the Central Coast are able to make make finals, I think. Uh, for me, uh, I'm going to say a draw. That's the safe option, just sit on the fence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mate. Good, uh, good splinters in my ass from sitting on the fence this week. <laughs> All right, Um one final uh, thing before we move on to the Premier League, just want to sh- uh, do a big shout out to Matt Olsen for winning our more than a game survivor tipping. I think we ended up going seven or eight rounds in this. So it really was survivor tipping um, as such. Uh, and we promised a prize and uh, we've delivered. So uh, Matt Olsen, he posted a photo this week of him with A-League Monopoly. So congratulations to Matt and also uh, commiserations to your friend's family or partner who's going to have to play it with you. So hopefully they enjoy it nearly as much as I know you will. Congratulations again, Matt Olsen. Yeah, um, all right, next Matt. Um, I've known him for many years, top bloke, and I'm glad he'll um, annoy his, his family and friends with A-League Monopoly. <laughs> All right, next up, some Premier League. Pretty much all 10 inside their own penalty at the moment, bar perhaps one or two. Lifted in towards Evans, whose contact was crucial and equalises for Leicester City. The centre-half with the merest of flicks. Um, it, it was a bit of a strange round in the Premier League overnight. Um, there were five matches, including Friday night's game. Um, none of them really were with particularly interesting, not not interesting results, but um, there there wasn't any uh, scores that really you looked at and went, oh, well, that's that's a particularly. Um, I keep coming back to interesting. Um, <laughs> um, We'll, 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 what we'll do is we'll just press on through each of the results, though. Uh, Southampton, they hosted Leicester. Um, this was obviously a rematch of the infamous 9-0 from almost 18 months ago. Um, the Saints had Yannick Vestergaard sent off uh, on 10 minutes for absolutely clattering the man after the ball. Uh, Southampton battled on and actually took the lead from the penalty spot before Johnny Evans equalised. Um, mate, the one thing I do want to mention about this game was the, the red card from Vestergaard. Um, it was very reminiscent, I thought, of Balbuena's uh, red card from last week. Did did you catch the uh, the Vestergaard red card? Yeah, I did, and I've got to say, it's a little bit disappointing um, watching him do this because 
some weeks you watch him play and you think, geez, this guy's a really good footballer. He has the potential to kind of kick on a little bit. But then some weeks you watch him and he's just like a, you know, a giraffe on ice skates just doing silly <laughs> things. And yeah, if he can get consistency, I think he can be one of those really good defenders in the league, but he's just a bit silly. I guess there's a reason why he's at Southampton because, like you say, I, I know what you mean. Some weeks you, you watch him and you go, buddy, hell, like, this guy's immense. Like, he's a really mm. top quality um, center back. And then other weeks he does stuff like this, or he, he's got a, an absolute clangor in him that, that he manages to wheel out about sort of once every six weeks or once a month or something like that. Um, and I, I could be wrong, but I believe he was on the books at Chelsea at one point. So that goes to show that he does have something about him. But yeah, he just he needs to. Someone needs to have a talk to him. You know what I mean? I know what you mean, mate. Someone, someone once had to have that talk with me as well. Um, <laughs> right, moving on to uh, Crystal Palace, they hosted Manchester City. This was real business as usual areas for for Manchester City. Um, first half of the game, even though City, um, sorry, first hour of the game, even though City had um, had rested a couple of key players, um, it looked like they might just sort of uh, battle it out uh, until later in the game. And it was pretty much right on cue on the arrow mark when City scored two goals, one from Aguero and one from Ferran Torres that um, pretty much just put the, the game beyond Crystal Palace's reach. Um, but like I said, real business is usually areas. And it was a game that... Um, Wilfred Zaha, he he seemed to really sort of struggle um, getting into this game, and he, excuse me, he looked very very unlike his usual self. Yeah, um, it was very similar in a way to Melbourne City's game against Newcastle because there was times where it just looked like, you know, these these guys in blue were just passing it between themselves, having fun, a training routine. And you're right about Wilfred Zaha. Um, you know, I was I was I was watching a bit of this one and. Sometimes you'll just forget he was on the pitch. He was he just made that little of an impact. Yeah, it was really disappointing, I guess, not just performance, but uh, I guess the, the strange thing about Palace is at the moment is that a lot of them, are, I think they've got a huge amount of their squad that's due for um, – uh, whose contract expires, obviously Hodgson, he's leaving at the end of the season. So Palace, like we could be sitting here in a couple of months' time for the at the beginning of the new season. And Palace, I think, are going to be a completely different side. Um, so oh, a bit of a missed opportunity for someone to not stand up and, and say, hey, you guys need to sign me. You need to, need to extend my contract and keep me on for next season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, won't be relegated Brighton hosted won't qualify for Europe Leeds United um, in the, the second game of last night uh, Leeds looked a little tired after three really tough games against Manchester United Manchester City and Liverpool in the past few weeks um, and Brighton deservedly got all three points um, Gross's penalty and Welbeck's uh, icing on the cake second goal for Brighton were enough uh, to see them t- uh, get the win um, mate, I honestly don't have anything to talk about with this game. So unless you do, we'll keep moving. Um, I just <laughs> want to quickly mention Danny Welbeck. He's done pretty well this season. He's put a few of the doubters to um to rest. He hasn't like I'm not I'm not sitting here saying he's been like a Harry Kane or a Patrick Bamford, but when he's played, he's looked really well, and you know he's had a hard few seasons, so it's good to see him get on the score sheet. He's saying he's looked like a Danny Welbeck. Maybe Danny Welbeck <laughs> of like 2013. He's 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 got back to a little bit where he's not completely shit, but just a little bit shit. 
That is that is a good description. I think he's uh he's a little bit good, a little bit shit, just rotating well back areas. Like uh the Lockie Wales of the English Premier League. <laughs> whoa, 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 he's not that good yet. Um all right, mate. Uh Chelsea, they hosted Fulham. Uh obviously both teams actually had quite a bit to play with, uh play for here. Um, but Fulham were always going to be up against it, uh, playing against the resurgent Chelsea side. Uh, Chelsea took an early lead through habits and extended it early in the second half. Um, Chelsea, with one eye on the Champions League semi-final second leg, um, had Azpilicueta, Kante, Jorginho and Pulisic all rested or rotated. Um, it meant that Mason Mount and Billy Gilmore, George's boy, Billy Gilmore, um, as the the Chelsea double pivot. Um, and I thought um, Billy Gilmore, I thought he did well, but Mason Mount, I, I thought he was... If if not for Habits' two goals, um, Mason Mount was probably man of the match for me. I thought he was really good in this. And um, I think I said at last pod that um, I thought Mason Mount was going to struggle under Tuchel, but I think he's really taken off and um, he's, he's probably one of the best English midfielders, uh, I think, at the moment in the, in the Premier League. Yeah, I'd agree. What an outstanding player he is. When he's on, he's really, he's really something else. So next year, if you can find that consistency, or even this year, if he gets picked for the Euro squad for England, you know he, he could be a very special player in the future, and he could be even um, knocking on the door of a seat for the 2022 World Cup if he keeps it up. And, and mate, that's a good point about the Euros because I think he's definitely in the hunt. But I think I think Chelsea fans would hope that he doesn't get picked because um, we've we've seen that this year has been a strange year and that a lot of players haven't had sort of some of the rest that they normally would. Um, and I think. If, if players go to the Euros, it's only going to set them back for next season. So even if he uh, – look, if I was a Chelsea fan, I would be hoping Mason Mount doesn't get picked. Uh, and if he does get picked, that he doesn't play. Because uh, give the kid a break uh, and then I think he's going to be really, really good for Chelsea next season. Um, my question from Sal, uh, super fan Sal, he wants to know, are Chelsea just lucky frauds? Oof, that's a bit harsh. Um <laughs> You know, bit of a loaded they, question, isn't it? They say you make your own luck, um, and I believe Chelsea do that. I don't believe there's any such thing as luck in football. Um, I believe whenever teams like win a game or they perform well, it's because even if they're playing shit and they win, it's because they've got those players and that sort of belief. So to say Chelsea are lucky frauds is a little bit harsh for me. Um, what about yourself? I think. Um... I've been actually really impressed with Chelsea ever since uh, Tuchel's come in. I, I think he's given them a real sort of mental um, mental strength uh, and a real a real sort of steel about the team that just wasn't there under under Lampard. And they are like I, I think over the last few weeks I've sort of solidified um, in my mind that Chelsea are their favourites for me to finish fourth, and they could even catch Chelsea in third. Uh, sorry, um, Leicester in third. <laughs> But uh, also, I mean, they're at this point, they're my favourites to win the Champions League as well. That's how much I think they've progressed in the second half of the season. So, um, yeah, look, sorry, Sal, I've got to say, I think Chelsea are the real deal at the moment. And it's just, uh, I think Chelsea, are, they're, they're in with a really good shout to, to push City all the way next season, I think. Yeah, I'd have to agree. That's the thing. Um, we've seen how much to turn the corner under Tuchel. And he hasn't really brought in any of his own players. He hasn't had a preseason and all that sort of thing. So I would tip them as one of the kind of two or three favourites to push for that Premier League title next year. And I'll be really interested to see how they go. 
hundred um, percent. Made enough about Chelsea though. Uh, I, I, I think Fulham are finished now. Don Hutchinson said that um, uh, that late. He, he pointed out that the the late equaliser from Arsenal last week has kind of broken Fulham's spirit. And obviously they had Chelsea this week, which they end up losing, and now they play City next week as well. So I, I just think it's. Uh, Fulham now consider themselves relegated too. Uh, I think it's just too too big a challenge now after they they lost uh, some some winnable games over the last uh, over the last few weeks, which is I guess a little bit disappointing because they they looked for a period there like they were in for a really good shout of staying up, but it just hasn't quite worked out for them. On the topic of Fulham though, Scotty Parker, he's done a pretty incredible job, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I'd have to agree. I sung his praises last time I was on. And I believe that, you know, um, he might not be the finished product as a manager yet, but you can see he's trying to build something. You can see he's got a lot of potential. And I think a team, even someone like Crystal Palace, they've got Roy Hodgson coming off contract. They should be knocking on Scott Parker's door. I think that would be a perfect move. I agree, mate. I, I we saw with Palace, I think it was like three or four years ago, where they went to Frank de Boer, who tried to introduce like this real possession-based um, uh, approach at, at Palace, and it just didn't work out. It was too big a change too quickly, and I think going to to Scott Parker, who's I think he's a little bit more, um, he, he's still a, a pragmatist like um, uh, like Hodgson, but I think he's. Uh, I think he'd be a really good fit for Palace. He's a manager who can get the best out of players. There's a few players for Fulham who, when they were in the Prem last time they got relegated, they played pretty pretty poorly like Angisa. And Scott Parker's got the absolute best out of him. So if he does go to someone like Crystal Palace, I'll be very interested to see what he can do with someone like Wilfred Zaha, who, not to be harsh on him, he has a lot of talent, but he hasn't really been himself for about, you know, maybe three seasons. Would you agree? Yeah, um, Wilfred Zahar is just a, a really troubling, troubling player. You can see that he's got bag loads of talent, and we, we've spoken before about how he's a big fish in a small pond at Palace. And I, I think his window for going to a bigger club has closed. I, I, I think as he's gotten older, he hasn't matured uh, enough to be able to go to a big club. And uh, I think even now, like against um, against uh, City, you, you could see that they were doing ni- little niggly fouls and things off the ball and it was just enough to rattle him and he just never really got into the game as a result. So, yeah, I think um, the the challenging thing for, for Palace is do they do they sell him now and hopefully get maybe 30 to 40 million for him and sort of risk the, the, the Palace fans' wrath or do they stick with him knowing that when he's good, he's incredible. He, he's virtually unplayable, but um, when he's bad, he, he's actually becoming a bit of a liability for the club, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I'd agree with that. All right. Somehow we managed to go back on to talking about Palace. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. Um, one final game, which was Everton hosting Aston Villa. Um, as I mentioned already, when we were talking about A-League, um, Everton, uh, if they had a won this game, they could have... Uh, continued to shoot back up the table and be within a shout of finishing fourth. But um, alas, Everton's faint hopes of finishing in the top four took a battering um, as they lost 2-1 to Aston Villa. Goals from Ollie Watkins and Al Ghazi gave Villa the three points um, and another really disappointing uh, result, I think, for Everton. Um, 
it really felt like this season there was a number of opportunities where if they had have taken uh, those chances, they could have um, kicked on and and maybe finished in the Champions League places. But this was a game that they had to win because um, it was, again, sort of a rival uh, around the same uh, areas of them on the table. But they, they just couldn't find uh, couldn't find the quality to uh, and the concentration to take out the game. But that's Everton this season. Yeah. We've been Everton for, for many seasons, if anything. I, I agree. And um, your point about the top four, it's been spoken for, it feels like five or six years now that Everton, this season is going to be the season that they're going to, you know, make that top four. This season is going to be the season. And it seem, it must be really tiring for an Everton fan to hear that, get that pre-season, the hype. This season really, to me, it honestly felt like the season where Everton were finally going to crack the top four. I had Ancelotti, I had some good players and they started off playing oh, yes. some good football. And they just fell. They just fell short again. And yeah, I I feel very sorry for Everton fans because it must be frustrating falling just short every year. Hundred percent, mate. And to be honest, I mean, it, it's not due to a lack of quality in the squad. Like the quality is there, but I mean, and Mason Holgate, I don't think he's. You, I don't think you consider him a really young player anymore. I'm pretty sure he's sort of 22 or 23 or something like that now, and he's probably approaching 100 games um, at the the highest level. So for him to make that kind of mistake is it's kind of unforgivable. But I'm not really sure how you like without a wholesale surgery to that squad, how you'd improve it to to make them into a top four team. It's just, I think that's just their level. It's just raw Everton areas. Yeah, spot on. All right, mate, still five uh, Premier League games to play um, this round. So we'll, we'll quickly pick them off and, and give a bit of a preview for each of them. First up, Newcastle hosting Arsenal. Uh, Newcastle coming off a late draw with Liverpool, while Arsenal will have one eye on their Europa League semi-final second leg against Villarreal later in the week. Who's your pick for this one? Um, I'm a Newcastle fan, and I was very hard on them last time I was on the pod. I said they had no chance of escaping relegation. They've really turned the corner, and I fully believe that they can beat Arsenal, particularly if Arsenal pick Leno over Matt Ryan because he has been pretty pretty woeful the past few weeks. What about you? It's been really strange, the, the sort of uh, the demise of Burnt Leno because when, when he first came to the league, I thought he was incredible. I thought he was one of the best goalkeepers in the league because he was um, unlike um, Allison or... Um, Edison. Edison. He was having to he was having to make a lot of saves, um, and then you compare it with um, uh, it was also really good with the ball at his feet. But but now he's sort of not always making the saves that you would probably expect him to. He's making mistakes, and he's he he doesn't seem quite the same player as I think he got injured about twelve months ago, just before lockdown, wasn't it? And I don't think he's come back the same player. So maybe he just needs to get. Um, back into preseason, get his head right, and then hopefully he'll come back a better player. But, yeah, I don't disagree with you, mate. I think Newcastle have got a decent shout to to get the result here. Um, what, what's your score prediction? Um, I'm going to say maybe 2-1. Okay. Uh, next up, Manchester United are hosting Liverpool. Manchester United also have a Europa League semi-final to, to play later this week, while Liverpool are solely focused on making the top four to play Champions League football again next season. Um, mate, what's your what's your prediction for this one? Yeah, this this one's a tough one to predict, as most derbies are. Um, 
you know, part of me thinks that maybe Manchester United will have the one eye on the Europa League, but then then again, they did beat Roma quite comfortably. So I'm gonna go Manchester United, maybe maybe like a one nil win in a in a scrappy game. What about yourself? I think um this it wouldn't surprise me if this turns out to be a really bad watch because like we've seen um Manchester United earlier on in the season, I think against like I think it was Chelsea and um, there was a couple of games where you just watch them thinking, oh, this this game's going to blow up and it's just turned out to be really dull. Uh, I think this has got nil all or one all written all over it, to be perfectly honest. Again, sitting on the fence, mate. <laughs> yeah, how are those splinters? <laughs> uh, all right, next up, Tottenham are hosting Sheffield United. Uh, Ryan Mason gets a bit of a free hit here uh, against already relegated Sheffield United. What's your What's your prediction? Oh yeah, this is this is another one of those ones where it's hard to predict. I know I know I've said that with pretty much every match, but Ryan they Mason, all hard to predict. Um, Ryan Mason, he I think it's his first prem match. He had the cup final and he got pretty tactically outplayed. So I'm pretty interested to see what he can sort of do in this one. Whereas Sheffield United really don't have too much to play for other than pride. So this could be one of those ones where Tottenham win comfortably Sheffield United win comfortably or it finishes nil all so I'm gonna um take a page from your book and sit on the fence and maybe go for a one all draw <laughs> yeah okay interesting because uh, like uh, this um we forget that this is this is the beginning of the post Mourinho era for for Spurs and um they they have Son and Kane who are two players that they urgently need to hold on to and if they don't hold on to them they need to get silly money for them um mm. I think Spurs fans would expect that they would get a hundred million for Kane, whether or not he's worth it. Not, not my, not my call. But um, I think uh, Spurs need to hold on to at least one of those players, and they they need to, I think, uh, sort of placate those two players by getting some good results for uh, for the remainder of the season. And I think um, worst case scenario, I think at this point they can still get Europa League uh, for next season. Obviously, it's not where they want to be playing, but but if they do manage to continue the slide, there is a chance that they may not even make um, sort of what is it like seventh or uh, seventh? I think is still Europa League, or or they could end up in what's it the Europa Conference League, whatever that bullshit new comp is called. So, mate, what's your? Oh, you've already given us a good prediction. Sorry. So, yep. um, next up is West Brom are hosting Wolves, uh, Black Country Derby. West Brom now, you could probably say that they're relegated, but mathematically, they've still got a sniff, and they their will hasn't looked quite as broken as Forms has in the last week or two. Um, and Wolves, I mean, their season is pretty much done. So, I think they got. They got spanked last week. I think it was four 0 by Burnley. So you know where Wolves' head is is at uh, right now. And um, just talking about Spurs and their managerial situation, um, Nuno's been linked with with a move to Spurs as well. So um, who knows what the what the Spurs camp? Uh, sorry, the Wolves camp is like at the moment. Um, I actually I wouldn't be surprised if West Brom actually get the three points here. And I, I, I hope that they do because it will at least give them something to play for in the, the remaining four games that they've got. So um, that's my prediction there. Got anything wildly different to that, mate? Yeah, no, I agree. I'm fully um, confident that West Brom can win. You know, Wolves haven't been themselves for a while and West Brom haven't been playing bad football. So I'm going to go West Brom maybe 2-0. Maybe okay. 
Right, the final match we've got is Burnley hosting West Ham. I would have said probably a couple of weeks ago that this is a great match for for West Ham, noting that we're still in the hunt for uh, for finishing in the top four. Um, but then Burnley sort of basically out of nowhere came off of an absolute walloping of walls last week. Um, and West Ham have won, uh, lost two on the trot now, which I think is the first time they've actually done that this season, incredibly. Um West Ham will have Balbuena back after his rescinded red card um, and Dawson also returns from his suspension after um, being sent off at Newcastle. Um, Antonio and Rice are also a chance to play. So uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if uh, both maybe come off the bench, but uh, I have seen uh, waking up this morning that there is a chance that Noble's uh, injured. So Maybe Rice will be rushed back. Maybe Connor Coventry will will step into the breach. Who knows? But um, it's a really tough one to predict this one because obviously uh, Burnley have just come back from a off of a good result, and West Ham. I think they they will be very keen to to get a good result here because this um there's been a bit of a I guess a dangerous trend recently whereby they um. We're starting off games really well and then conceding late on and then they lost two in a row and sort of the you could make a case that the wheels have fallen off uh, West Ham probably a little bit in the last month, but it's it's hard to know what to predict. What's your prediction, mate? Yeah, um, despite Chris Wood getting a hat-trick, um, you know, the first New Zealand player to get a hat-trick in the Premier League, I still Ooh. like West Ham. Um, I still think they'll win. But I'm hoping Chris Wood, you know, maybe bangs in one or two. So maybe maybe three one West Ham just to throw a random number out there. What about your prediction? That that's not a bad shout, and I would be very happy with a three one win because um I think I think a lot of people have basically closed the door now on the um on the the top four that it's Chelsea's now, but Chelsea have still got to play City, um, and they're also still in the Champions League as well. So they're still juggling uh, I guess multiple competitions. So Still, I, th- I think it's still in the balance. I'm, I'm not confident that West Ham will get it anyway. I think there's still a chance that Liverpool could um, could still sneak into the into the top four. But um, I think uh, three points here for West Ham would uh, go a long, long way to to West Ham staying in the hunt, though. Um, all right, before we move on to the Champions League, uh, we're into May now. It's the 2nd of May today on Sunday. So that means we've got an April more than a game fantasy Premier League prize to give away. Uh, so Mace Caruana, he takes out the April prize. He's the first person to have received a second prize as well. So well done, Mace. Um, now with the Premier League to finish at the end of May, it means we're very much at the business end of the um, the Premier, the Fantasy Premier League season um, and not taking into account Saturday night scores. Uh, so yesterday, Mace Caruana is just six points behind more than a game's own Jesse, who's currently in the, the lead for more than a game FPL. Um, Aaron Barker is in third place right now, but he's 28 points back. So it could be a little bit tricky for him to catch up, but still plenty of games to be played. So um, going to be a very interesting last few weeks in more than a game fantasy Premier League. So good luck, everyone there. Well, let's move on to some Champions League though quickly. Look, 
mate. It was uh, the first leg of the Champions League semi-finals was played this week. We're we're really into Super Club territory now. Uh, first game was Real Madrid hosted Chelsea. That one finished one all. Uh, game uh, goals for Pulisic and Benzema. Um, and really, at this point in the competition, you don't see bad goals anymore, do you? No, and both the games I thought were pretty superb as well. Um, Benzema is still proving why he's been you know, the most underrated striker in Europe for about 10 years. Um, and it will be interesting to see what will happen in the next leg because it's one of those games where both teams are big, like they, they really get up for these big games and that's it's one all. So I can't really predict who's going to win this. I like the way Chelsea have been playing, so I think I'm just going to go for Chelsea. But then again, it's Real Madrid, it's the Champions League, you know, this is their turf. I uh, know it's 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 hard to see um hard to see Real Madrid not winning this, but at the same time, Chelsea just have such grit and steel about them now under Tuchel that uh, I think um like even a, a nil or result here is is not beyond me. I think at this point, so um I, I do wonder if Real Madrid are sort of maybe coming towards the end of a um the end of an era here and the end of a cycle, even though Cristiano Ronaldo's not there anymore. I do wonder if maybe it's um maybe they don't quite have enough big players there to sort of get them across the line if if Chelsea do get like maybe a couple of goals um uh early on or something like that. So excuse me. Um but yeah it's a really tough one to pick here and I think it's gonna be a really close game though. Mate, I think um, I don't think either of us actually gave a score prediction. So, so what's your give us your score prediction for the uh, second leg and for um, and who's going to win the tie overall? Um, I'm going to say Chelsea are going to score a late winner, one nil, and go through. What about yourself? Uh, I think uh, I'm going to say nil all, and I think that will mean Chelsea will go through on um, away goals. So we're both predicting a pretty gritty game then. Oh, I think so, yeah. Which pr- pretty much means that it's going to be like an absolute thriller, three or four goals yeah, each. Exactly. <laughs> right, mate. The other game was PSG versus Manchester City, the El Gasico or the El Plastico, depending on uh, uh, what's, what's your flavour. Um, this for me is really a game of who do you hate least? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um you know, both teams aren't very likable unless you're like a 12-year-old who's just getting into football. Um, <laughs> I thought it was a very, like, very entertaining game, though. And I did say a few weeks ago that I thought PSG were going to win the Champions League. So I hate them less than City just based on that because I want to have one right prediction. Mate, uh, Mbappe's out for the second leg of this one, though. Um who do you want to win and who do you think will win? I want PSG to win. I want to see them finally get a Champions League. I, I do like their goalkeeper, Kaylor Navas. That's probably about it. But he's been yeah, so, he's been pretty hard done by in the last few years, hasn't he? Like he, he was just sort yeah. of shunted out of, of Real Madrid, even though he was one of the best goalkeepers in the world. And yeah. So so my heart says PSG, but my head is really leaning more towards Manchester City, you know. Uh, what about yourself? PSG, the the plucky underdogs, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I really just want them both to lose, to be honest. Um, 
I think I, I don't know. I don't really want them to. I don't want PSG to win, but I mean, at least, um, at least Mbappe. Uh, sorry, not Mbappe. At least um, Neymar's already won a Champions League before when he was at Barcelona. Whereas if City win one, then I don't know. I just don't want City to win the Champions League because that would just it would just be horrible. And <laughs> I, I, I just will love die. The memes. I just love the memes whenever um, Manchester City don't win the Champions League. Um, people are just well, so hard on Pep Guardiola, always mentioning um, that he's a bald fraud. So I'm just, I'm very excited for the memes. See if they come up with something new when City do get knocked out. I, I can't wait for the fat filter to come out again for um, for Guardiola. And I guess the other thing is maybe if, uh, like some people don't like Neymar, and like I said, he's already won a Champions League before, but um, I guess if there's one player that I do want to see win the Champions League, it's Pochettino. What, sorry, one manager. Yeah, yeah, I, I knew what you meant. <laughs> Thanks. Um, already, mate. Uh, all right. Finally, let's finish up. Who do you think uh, will win uh, the the second league, and who will win the tie overall? Um. Yeah, I'm just gonna go for PSG with the double. Um, you know, it's just I'm not gonna sit on the fence. I'm just gonna say PSG. What about yourself? I think because um, City won the, the first leg away 2-1, it, it's pretty tough, I guess, for PSG. I think they've really got to keep City scoreless. But if um, if City do manage to uh, to score once, I think it might be too tough for them. Um, I, I'm going to say a 2-0 win for PSG, though. Ooh. Um, but that pretty much wraps things up for, for this week's pod. Um, Shannon, great to have you on the pod again. Really enjoyed talking some uh, plenty of football with you. Um, plenty of football coming up this week. Uh, like we said already, Europa League semifinals, Champions League semifinals. Um, still plenty to play for in the Premier League and, of course, the A-League um, as well. So uh, look forward to tuning in with everyone again next week. Bye. Bye.